Hey folks, it's Bama Athreya, your host on The Geek Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And this show is now part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. You can discover more than just us by visiting their website at laborradionetwork.org. The Labor Radio Network will help you find your favorite union podcast or radio show, besides this one, of course. What is the Labor Radio Podcast Network? It's a simple network of folks from around the United States. Working people keep raising their voices more and more each day and demanding better treatment from their workplaces and from their elected officials. These voices don't get heard very much on the corporate-controlled media. But the 21st century labor movement has a new way to get its message out there, besides traditional media gatekeepers. Uh, Yeah, it's ironic, but we are talking about corporate-controlled social media. But we are trusting you as the gatekeepers. So plug in and get the real news. For a one-stop shop, just visit laborradionetwork.org. On the main page, you'll see a grid of show logos, and you can just click on any one of them and the description and links pop up right there. It's worth going to visit this ever-growing set of voices for labor. TGM Voices Project, a podcast highlighting the real people who make up our union, the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers. I'm Michelle Ellis, Director of Digital Media. I will bring the work of our union to you through monthly interviews with the BCTGM's hardworking leaders, organizers, and everyday members. This is the BCTGM Voices Project. In this episode, we follow up our previous conversation with East Central Region Vice President Roger Miller with worker perspective on the Kellogg strike from all four locations. Feel free to leave a solidarity message on whatever platform you've chosen to listen on today and share, share, share this recording to help support the workers. With that, here are the voices of the Kellogg strike. I'm going to have each of you introduce yourself Tell us your local union. If you have an elected role, let us know. And then what you do at Kellogg, how long you've been working there. All right. My name is Kevin Bradshaw. I'm vice president of Local 252G in Memphis. I've been with the Kellogg's company for 20 years. And my current role in the plan is, uni- is a unitized operator, better known as case seller operator. My name is Victor Francia, and I'm here at the uh, Omaha Kellogg's plant. Uh, with the local 50G union. I worked on the packing floor when I first started and then the second half, I've been on the process floor um, operating a coder. I am Heather Green. I'm with uh, Local 3 in Battle Creek and I'm a crew leader in the warehouse and I've been with Kellogg's for 15 years. Hello, I'm Donovan Williams. I've been with the Kellogg company for eight years and I'm a head processing operator in the processing department in Battle Creek, Michigan, Local 3G. And I'm Andy Johnson, uh, Processing Department Extruder Operator. I've been with Kellogg's for three years now, Local 374G. 
Kevin, you've been with our union for a very long time. I'm going to start with you with this question. The company, they've been saying they're deeply concerned that the union struck without allowing the employees to vote on their October 1st offer. And, you know, we know that this really sidesteps what the process of negotiations is meant to accomplish. So having been the president of this local union in the past, would you just explain what that process is supposed to accomplish? Yeah, you would never vote on anything that was not mutually agreed upon both sides. So the, the union never mutually agreed upon both uh, with the company on certain things, and there's no contract to bring back to vote on. Yeah. So in addition, Kevin, I've heard you in a couple of interviews over the last week and a half or so calling that proposal ludicrous, among other things. Can you explain yeah. ways that you mean that? I mean, we gave the company so many millions in concessions on the last master contract and but now for them to come back and say, well, we want to make it permanent. I mean, why would we sell out the future? Why would we sell out the people coming under me with less than 20 years, the people that's going to get, get hired? And why would we expect them to want to be a part of a union that sold them out? I mean, that's just crazy within itself. It's like, um, you know, me fighting against you, but still wanting you to be my friend all the time. Why would we do that? I mean, that's not to protect the livelihood of, of working people in America and the brother and sisterhood of our union members. We can't do that. I mean, it's just not the right thing to do. And, and exactly like Roger said, that's just not who we are. Right. Okay, Victor, uh, you haven't quite transitioned into a legacy employee yet. Remind me how long you've been working at the Omaha facility. Yeah, I'm going uh, to be here almost three years now. So when I first started, they told us that after some time, we were going to transition into regular full time. So in a way that was uh, kind of a way of retention, I think. But even with that, you know, they have a 40% turnover on employees. And I think it's been higher with some classes that have came after me. Like most of the people don't make it through because of the hours or because of the responsibility that, you know, the line breaks down. What do I do? You know, minutes go by and they know that it's affecting hundreds of pounds per minute. And, uh, you know, it's too much for them. So they do have a, a high turnover rate. And, you know, maybe if those employees that decided that it's not for them. Maybe if they got paid better, maybe they would have stayed, you know. Uh, through COVID, it was pretty hard on us. Um, I mean, on last year's contract, when it expired, there was uh, some people here that retired and the company didn't hire right away. So there was just a bunch of vacancies, people that were moving around to jobs. And so we had to put up with the overtime, you know, staying over or coming in early. And then once COVID hit, we had a lot of people out on leave day shift, second shift, third shift. And so like every shift had to either stay over or come in early every day. And I noticed that a bunch of other companies like Tyson, Smithfield Foods, where friends of mine and my mom worked at Tyson, they started giving incentives uh, to their, their employees, you know, monthly incentives to keep people coming to work. They got uh, their wages increased. Since the beginning of COVID, my mom told me that they've gotten $5 of a raise you know, and, and they're, they're planning to keep it like that. And, you know, to see that while working here, you know, I, I don't feel like the company really appreciates us because they only gave us a $500 bonus, a one-time thing, while the other companies were giving monthly bonuses and increases in wages. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't turn our backs on them. We, we continued to come to work. We showed up. We uh, worked as a team. We sanitized the lines before we started working. Uh, it was not as easy as uh, when I first started in that sense. Uh, some of us transitionals were thinking maybe this contract is going to turn out good because they were putting out pretty good profit through COVID. I mean, 
a lot of people were buying non-perishable food. So they even gave their CEO a $11 million, you know, bonus that year, along with everybody below him. So yeah, they were doing really good. And, you know, we were hoping that with this contract, they were going to come back and give us what we deserve. So we feel like they turned their backs on us now that it's time to show appreciation for everything that we've done. When I spoke to Roger on Sunday, he was talking about how the company showed up at negotiations with their typical presentation, talking about how they have lost market share. They're no longer the number one cereal producer and they cannot be competitive like this. So to your point, it seems like you guys have already been stretched to the brink through COVID to come to the table and assume we'll just take it off the workers' backs. Like that's going to help our market share. It's just kind of ass backwards for lack of a better term, it seems like. Yeah. I, I mean, instead of looking to maybe reduce the cost of, uh, I don't know, the car ends or something else where, you know, it would seem more fair. They're looking to take away from us when they haven't really given us anything through, you know, through COVID and stuff. Um, which really seems unfair to us. That he released a statement saying that he had a plan uh, that they were going to do good before COVID, uh, through COVID, and they even had planned that they're uh, going to be doing good after COVID. So, I mean, that's a statement that uh, Mr. Callahan released, and so they're prepared. I don't. I think they're just saying that now, you know, so they can get the contract in their favor. So. Kevin, you were the president of Local 252G back when Kellogg locked the workers out in 2013. I was actually looking back yesterday on some of the communications that we put out through that fact sheets and everything. And, and a line that we had in the intro on this paper says, Kellogg, like so many other multinational companies before them, wants cheaper disposable workers. It seems like not much has changed in seven years. No. It's still the same. I just want more. That's it. Now, to touch up on that, really, at this company, that's not the right thing to do because the experience really, really does matter. I mean, I worked at uh, Smithfield Foods, at Tyson Foods, and people get trained within like a month, you know, because it's a certain cut or they, they just put food into boxes. And that is something that can be taught pretty easy. But these machines, you can be on them for two years, three years, and you're still learning things. You feel like you're still new and uh, you know when when somebody with 10 years of experience retires or because of the contract or because you know they don't feel appreciated um they lose all that knowledge and we've we've felt it here like on some of the lines where people move to other jobs after people retired and from the uh, process side of the department we have to go down because packing can't keep up because they have new employees that have you know, only been there a year and they don't know how to fix the machines as good. It takes them time. And I mean, one hour of work is thousands and thousands of pounds of cereal to them. So if they lower the wage, you know, people are going to start going to work somewhere else. Like for me and some coworkers, if the contract doesn't go in our favor, you know, we're going to look for work somewhere else. And, you know, it's, it's going to really hurt the company because like I said, all that experience is just going to go out the door. And it's not easily replaced. Kevin, do you know anything about what's going on inside of Memphis right now regarding replacement workers? Uh, well, we've heard from some very good reliable sources that they're not doing anything but cleaning and doing a lot of contracted work that they had already scheduled to be done. Um, they have been busting um, scabs in and out, but 
Um, it's more of a, like a shell game. They'll bring four buses, and out of the four buses, they'll have 10 to 15, no more than 20 people on all four buses. <laughs> so it's trying to, they're trying to deter people and intimidate them and scare them as if they can be replaced when they know, in essence, that they can't be replaced. Heather, Kellogg's put out a video this past week in response to some of our communications. One of the things that they claimed was that any overtime hours worked for you guys are voluntary. Uh, what is your response to that? Uh, the fact that they were actually able to put together that sentence just demonstrates how completely out of touch they are with what actually happens on a day-to-day week by week basis in their plants. We are scheduled seven days a week. We can ask for a day off, but you know, we can all prove and show uh, our weekend rotation lists where we were denied, denied, denied. Donovan, you talked about how you were uh, kind of heading up the planning of your grandmother's funeral. Yeah, me being a person that the responsibilities in my family falls upon, my grandmother passed away and there was basically no one other than me to plan her funeral. Talked to the HR department, tried to confirm that I could get those days off and ended up accruing six points, disciplinary points, while planning my grandmother's funeral. Went in to talk with them to try to figure out if we could do anything about those points to get them removed. They act as if their hands were tied and there, were not, there was nothing they could do to, to help me. And I had zero points at the time. I've never had a disciplinary issue as far as having points. I've never been to the upper levels of the point system, but there was no leniency. There was no willingness to work with me. And there was no sympathy at all for my family and what we were going through at that time. What is the point system? You get a certain amount and you get fired or? Yeah, basically you get a certain amount and you get fired. And it's a progressive system. I don't necessarily want to go through the whole system right now, but for a person with zero points, at the time and with the circumstances that had taken place, I would have expected a little more leniency or at least working with me a little bit. But basically what it was resulted in is me not being able to call in for roughly six months, you know, until I got those points off my record. Basically I had to work a thousand hours to get those points off my record that had accrued from my grandmother's funeral. So if something else had come up, force overtime. If you just wanted a Saturday off because you had family in town, none of that was going to be possible within that thousand hour time frame because of the company's unwillingness to work with me as far as um, taking care of that for my grandma. Andy, will you just talk about the ways that the overtime kind of just comes up? Well, you know, someone calls in on the next shift and you're five minutes before your shift's over and they're calling you up on the phone and saying, guess what? Enjoy another eight hours tonight. And you got no choice but to stay. They don't care that your kids need to be gotten off the bus and there's no one else. They don't care that, you know, you have family obligations at home. That All they want to do is run their business. And it's like, there's no forgiveness. If, if you don't have a way out or you can't get someone to cover you, you're stuck or you're going to lose your job. I've also heard whatever that happens, you get forced over. It doesn't change the fact that you have to come back tomorrow, whatever time you were scheduled. You report for your next shift at the normal time. There is no forgiveness. If you only get eight hours off, they don't care that you have to drive an hour home to get there and then an hour back to get there. You know, they talk about safety, safety, safety in the plant. And they're jeopardizing safety every day by making someone work 16 hours 
day after day after day, and they just don't care. As long as no one gets hurt, they put their blinders on and keep moving. Is there any difference between this situation, whether it's legacy or transitional? Well, the transitionals get hit a lot harder than the legacy because they're late senior. And at least in Lancaster, the way the overtime set up, if no one volunteers for it, the least senior person gets it. So, you know, if you're bottom of the barrel on your shift, you're going to get hit almost every single day. And them saying that 90% of the overtime signed for, give me a break. We signed for overtime defensively to get what we want so that we don't get what we don't want. Andy and Donovan, you both have experience with being less than legacy, I guess I would say. Andy, you just transitioned. I was the last person in Lancaster to go over the Monday before the contract expired. Yeah. Okay. And Donovan, you transitioned after the last contract, as I understand. Correct. Me and a group of the other employees, a lot of those employees who aren't here anymore because of the job cuts the last go around. Well, can you guys just talk about the ways that that causes tension inside the plant? I mean, when you're talking about you are going to get hit with the overtime in front of somebody that's been there a little bit longer, like how does that cause tension between the workforce? Well, again, you talk about the tension in the plant. You know, you're the least senior guy and you've done four or five days of 12 or 16 hour days already. And all you want is to go home and catch up on your sleep. And they hit you for that sixth and seventh day. Well, some of the more senior people are walking out the door and it, it just causes tension because, you know, you're tired, you're angry, but that's the way it is. That's the way it's always been at Kellogg. So, you know, you have to grit your teeth and bear it, but it, it ain't no fun. So on Sunday, I spoke to the lead negotiator on your guys' contract. It's our East Central Vice President, Roger Miller. And he was going through the ways that creating this permanent two-tier situation is going to start eliminating some really important benefits. And I know that, Heather, you've been there for 15 years. Will you just talk about the ways that the legacy benefits have allowed you to raise your family? Absolutely. I raised three kids. I'm a single mom. Uh, My kids are 28, 27, and 21 now. And, uh, but by the grace of God, they're all happy and healthy, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I have a daughter that, uh, struggled with addiction. Our, uh, benefits program helped put her through recovery program. And then my other two children were in sports and it was quite a few years of sports injury after sports injury. And for me personally, what that meant was that their health care, they could receive the level of care that they needed when they needed it. And I didn't have to compromise on how much I could spend on their school clothes that year because I had an enormous deductible to meet. As a single mom, there is a, enough stress and worry in the world that it meant the world to me to be able to know that their care, I didn't have to worry about that. I knew that we could go to the hospital, we could go to the doctor's office, and they would be cared for. So for me personally, that is, you know, why I came here. That's why I've stayed. And there is absolutely no reason why the next group of employees through the door should not have that same peace of mind. It makes a big difference. I was able to be more present as a parent with them with that less worry. It's very divisive 
when someone's spending just as much time away from their family as you are away from your family and the benefits package is different. That's what we're addressing now. And that's why we're standing outside. Just transitioning and not actually getting to experience the full benefits yet, not having to use them. But when they told me that I transitioned over, it was tears of joy knowing that I no longer had to worry about that $3,000 deductible that I had to meet before the medical picked up or knowing that if my child was sick, I didn't have to decide myself if they were sick enough to go to the doctors because, you know, we were going to get a doctor's bill. It's like you can focus your energy on other things other than worrying about them. And for the company to say, well, we're offering these people the same good insurance that we offer our salary people. No, you should be offering your salary people the same good insurance that you offer the legacy employee, not the other way around. What do you think is leading to the just change over time? where they just think that they can't give you anything like this anymore because they're losing money. Because they're greedy. That's what it all comes down to, greed at the corporate level. You know, if they want concessions, great. When the CEO and the board of directors and all the way down to the plant director and second in charge of the plant take concessions, then come to us. But till that's going to happen, don't come to us asking for concessions. We didn't get no $11 million bonus last year. Heather, you've been pretty vocal about the union label issue. We used a quote from you on social media last week that said, removing the union label allows them to sell cereal made outside the country right next to ours with no way to differentiate. There's been some conflicting messaging going on here. I know for a fact that in the union negotiations with the company, they threatened them all week long that if we didn't give them what they wanted, they would send the jobs to Mexico. The company is now saying they did not include that in this negotiation. We speak to this a little bit. Well, I think the, the uh, moving product to Mexico, the union label, uh, their profitability, it's, uh, they are banking on the general public just not knowing, you know, they say U.S. sales are down, but the only product on our shelves is stuff made in Mexico. If your neighbor doesn't know to look for a union logo on that box, then, you know, they're picking up a box. Like I said, they think they're buying an American brand, doing their part to make America great. And what they don't know is that they're not. They're boosting those sales so that then Kellogg's can say, well, we're doing great over here, but we're not doing good over here. So we need to shift. And it's like I said to you, it's making truth out of a lie. That label is critical. That's our pride on the box. That's American made on the box. And you know, the, if you, somebody really wants to buy the made Mexico stuff, you know, that's on the box too. Uh, but when you take that label off, the customer just doesn't know the difference. The made in Mexico product years ago, we're on the shelf in Battle Creek, Michigan, right next to the union made product, same product, right next to each other on the shelves. Why would you ever put product made somewhere else on the shelf next to Battle Creek headquarter 
Cereal City. Cereal City product. And I'm yeah. sure it happens in Lancaster, Omaha, and Memphis as well. And guys, remember, there is not a section in the grocery store shelves that has all the food made in Mexico that is being sold at a much reduced price to the consumer. You know, Kellogg's is not passing on those labor savings because they're making it in another country for much, much cheaper. The consumers aren't paying less. You know, they're still paying full price for the same stuff that we make. So all that is doing is increasing the profits this company is making. And again, on an uneducated consumer. And that to me is just disgusting. We're talking about Kellogg today, but what's going on in the streets across the working class? You know, we've got 1,400 Kellogg workers on strike with the BCTGM, but now we also have 10,000 with John Deere. 60,000 people in the film industry are getting ready to go on strike on Monday. 24,000 nurses at Kaiser Permanente. What do you think is going on? And can you talk a little bit about the opportunity that you guys have in this moment to just really get it done? What you need from this company? Well, I think we've given as much as we can possibly give. Uh, We've invested in these companies that we work for through this pandemic. Our companies are are communicating how well they're doing and how great they're doing. And what I sit down with at the end of the day is nothing but exhaustion. And, you know, they're coming to us saying, we need you to give a little bit more, sir. I have nothing left. And I think you can leave what we have alone and you can do a little better where you need to. You know, there's, they've asked too much in general corporations have just now stepped over that line just far enough where the working class have had enough. We now know, recognize, and believe in our personal value. And we know what we bring to the table. We know who's making the cereal. We're starting to realize that these aren't the founders of these companies that are trying to take these uh, benefit packages and things away from us. Their sacrifice isn't any greater than our sacrifice. People are recognizing that and they're recognizing the power in labor. They continue to try to eat off our plates and we're putting our foot down. We're not going to let it happen. What we have now, we plan on keeping or they can keep those doors closed. I mean, corporate greed is not just the Kellogg's. This is a problem in America all over. And I think the working class has finally woken up and said enough is enough. These billion dollar companies were not made by CEOs and boards of directors. They were built off of the sweat of the working class people. We make them that money. If we don't work, there's no billion dollar profit to line their pockets. So it's time that they share the wealth and and stop saying, whoa, we can't be profitable unless you give us these concessions. Wrong. You can't have as big of a bonus if we don't give you these concessions. It's not profitability. I think if if the whole world is watching and, and we all come together across the world in unity with labor, it shines a light on the need to organize and the need to be union. I mean, we, for, for so long, the American working man and woman have been just, you know, settling for whatever the company is offering. This shows that we're tired of settling. I mean, people are, the workers are tired. They're tired of being at the bottom of the hill, um, making CEOs and top executives millions and millions of dollars and yet just fighting to stay alive, to stay afloat, just to get the bare essentials that you need as a working person here in the United States of America. So I think it's a great opportunity for us just to come together and stick together and fight, because when we fight together, we win together. 
And even us here in Omaha, the other day, somebody from a local food store, he was just, you know, coming to see what, what it is like to be in a union and be part of it because he sees how strong, you know, and how needed it is for um, people to be together. And uh, so I think it is uh, putting out there, you know, for other people to, to see that if we stick together, that's how we get uh, things, you know, improvements for us as employees. That sleeping giant has awoken. Amen. True. Yeah. And, you know, we have to give solidarity to the rest of those workers who are, are walking out too, because it really is creating momentum in the working class, which when's the last time you guys saw that? It's been a it's long been time. A working class. I mean, it's amazing. So, um, so I hope everybody at, within Kellogg and in your local union stays strong and stays together, but also realizes the power of standing with the rest of them. Let's go into the morale on the picket lines right now, how things are going. Kevin, you go ahead and start. Well, on the lines here, um, we've had a lot of good community support from labor, from the religious community. I'm just um, working everyday working people. We had a lot of retirees that come out. I mean, and, you know, that's helping boost the morale with the younger people who are new, who, who really are learning that this is um, th- that they're making history, that they're standing against corporate greed and that this is bigger than them. So I think once the light comes on and people see, I mean, that employees like myself, others who don't know, who see that this is bigger than them, you know, it, it kind of brightens the day and gives them more motivation and zeal to keep doing what they're doing, to keep standing against corporate greed. So we've been pretty successful thus far with um, organizing it within the community here in the city. Thanks to a lot of help from our Central Labor Council, uh, getting the word out and other affiliates throughout the city and the state. Uh, we had some uh, state legislative people come out and they're drafting letters right now of support to send in. So we're, we're just doing what we can do here to stay to stay mobile, stay active, and just to keep inoculating the people on what's going on and just keep the spirits going. What about there in Omaha, Victor? Oh, it's been uh, pretty amazing. You know, like I've uh, worked at other places where they had unions, but it wasn't as strong as here because uh, the employees, you know, it was like 50% union or 40% union. And uh, here where we have like almost, it's like, like 99.9% union, um, we're all, all out there together, you know, and I'm getting to know some coworkers uh, more personal, you know, and we have, we've had a lot of support from our community. Um, there's people that are traveling three hours out here from, uh, you know, from Kansas, from other plants that have gone on strikes. And it feels really good to get the support from other people. It really shows me how important it is to stick together. When you say they were coming from Kansas, do you mean that other BCTGM members? Yeah, there's, yep, there's uh, some people from the Frito-Lay that they were just on strike earlier in the year. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, they drove out uh, three hours out here to uh, show support, stand on the picket line with us. And, you know, it really shows me how important this is. And it, it just feels really good to get that kind of support. What about in Battle Creek? I got a list. (laughs) Uh, We want to thank Ron Bieber, the state president for the AFL-CIO, John Bird, president of the South South Central Michigan AFL. We've had so many IBEW, UAW uh, members out here, painters, laborers, pipe fitters, uh, Southwest Building Trades has been out, uh, Chad Miller from the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters. Uh, yesterday, Teamsters, DC3, Local 705S, and GCC, Local 135 were out on our line for a few hours. MEA President Paula Herbert, 
NAPIN and post union members have been supportive. Uh, we've had some state elected officials, Jim Hadsma, who's running, Julie Rogers, Sean McKeon, Terry Stabo, Stephanie Chang, uh, some county commissioners, Jake Smith out of Calhoun County and Briante Bell out of Berrien. Um, our local businesses have just been amazing. Uh, Richland Tree Service has been out. Frontier Farmhouse and Marshall, I want to give them just a quick little shout out. They're a local farm. They're offering meat to uh, 3G members that need some help getting food on the table. Please go give their Facebook page a like. They've been great. And especially our community, I'm sure Andy is seeing this as well. You know, it's, it's every car honking, you know, maybe one out of 20 or 25 that doesn't honk and wave. Our community is, is just driving by, dropping off pizzas, a box of donuts, um, a flat of water. Our community support is, you know, it pumps up our kids. It keeps us going. It keeps us smiling and dancing and having a great time on the picket line. So I just want to say thank you to the Battle Creek community. Please keep thank showing you, up. We love seeing you. And uh, give us a honk and a wave. Yeah, Heather's right. The community has been absolutely amazing. I mean, here in Lancaster, mm -hmm. every day we have another union out walking with us. Today, United Steelworkers are out with us. Yesterday, the American Teachers Federation was out with us. Um, postal workers were here another day. BCTGM Local 6, the Local 36G, the APWU, United Steelworkers are called out. The Lieutenant Governor, Bob Casey, the Senator from Pennsylvania were out on our line. All kinds of support came out to us and we can't be more grateful to all of them. The picket line has been not without food a single day um, from the community. And we can't be more grateful for that because again, we're out there fighting for them just as well as ourselves. And we appreciate the support in this effort. Awesome guys. Well, real quick, will you just tell everybody what they can do to continue to support you uh, beyond showing up at the picket line? Well, we're currently asking if uh, anybody wants to uh, make some donations here at the hall, dropping off uh, non-perishable food items going into the winter, that's going to be really helpful. Paper goods like toilet paper, paper towels, personal care items, um, firewood and propane tanks that will help keep us warm. I would also like to say if any truckers are listening to this, if you would reach out to your dispatch or to your broker and let them know that you would like to be taken off of any deliveries that are going to any of the four U.S. Kellogg plants. We would greatly appreciate that. If you stand with us in unity now, we'll stand with you later. Trust me, we've been standing in support of um, labor and we'll always support labor. All right. Andy, anything else? No, they, they covered the list. Lancaster the same way. As we get into the colder months, we're going to need products to keep us warm. The hand warmers, propane heaters, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't know what to give and you want to give, hit the GoFundMe pages. That money is important to keep this going so that we can continue to provide the supplies that we need as this strike goes on into the weeks. Yeah, and on my part, I would just ask everybody to keep paying attention to social media, sharing our stories. We do have a network of labor radio and podcasters in the movement who do listen to our podcast. Um, they've already been telling your stories, but it helps us a lot because it shares them with their audiences. So keep doing that too. 
it's actually overwhelming the support that we've received from the community. And when we get to the other side of this, they can rest assured that we will be investing, investing, investing back into the community as much support as we've received. We will give it back tenfold. And thank you so much. 500 men sacked for refusing to ever cross a picky line. Voices down the ages warning, never cross a picky line. You must never cross a picky line. this content valuable please consider sharing it on your own social media pages and be sure to tag us we are bctgm on facebook twitter and instagram 
For more on the activities of the BCTGM, go to bctgm.org.